Cable Smith, welcoming everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. That's the Dirt Drifters, guys like me. And that's one that uh, I used to hear that song on the radio on KHYI in North Texas uh, 10 years ago. I never could figure out, this was back before radio stations had their playlists online, and I never could figure out who sang the damn song. And there's actually quite a few songs, believe it or not, named Guys Like Me. And uh, I guess the Dirt Drifters are so obscure and, and just not well-known enough that I never could find it. Uh, heard it on the radio last week, went to KHYI's um, online playlist there, and boom, found it. So there you have it, guys like me, uh, one of those ones I've been looking for forever. I don't know if there's a song like that for you. It's probably a rare thing these days with all of the technology that's out there at our fingertips. But anyway... I never could figure it out. So it was a relevation and now in my regular rotation. Anyway, thank you guys and gals for being here. I do appreciate each and every one of you. We've got a great show lined up for you today. So you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old thermos, the one your granddaddy passed down to you. If it's like mine, it's probably a little dinged up and says the word Stanley across the front of it. So Pour yourself another cup because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top today, we will take an in-depth look at the inner workings of the exotic venison industry, one that you might not be familiar with, but if you've ever gone to a fancy restaurant and you've seen, let's just say, Nilgai tenderloin or Axis tenderloin or, you know, whatever, well, those animals are actually hunted and harvested in, in most cases in Texas. And there's some fascinating history there. Chris Hughes, the second-generation owner of Broken Arrow Meats and Broken Arrow Ranch, will be here. His father is essentially the person who got that industry off the ground. And there were no like regulations back then concerning what you could and couldn't do as far as harvesting and then resaling that meat to the public or uh, famous five-star restaurants, you name it, which he did both. And so it was really a trailblazing effort that uh, today is still practiced far and wide across Texas on both low fence and high fence ranches. And uh, it's a great population management tool. You know, if you've got a population of X and the landscape can only support Y, well, then you've got a problem. Uh, So that's where Broken Arrow comes in. And uh, Chris will be here to talk all about how they harvest the animals, um, their mobile processing plant, which was groundbreaking technology at the time, once again from Chris's father, um, all that good stuff. Plus, hey, what species gets the most price per pound? Um, stuff like that that I'm interested to know. Uh, we'll get into all of it, plus a bunch more with Chris. He'll be here for a couple segments today. And then we will get into a bucket list waterfowl hunt with Kent Cartridge's Jeff Berry. He just returned from Saskatchewan. The goose and duck hunting was unbelievable. And, of course, he was using the 
new and improved Kent Fastiel 2.0, which we will hit on as well. Uh, Kent has long been my favorite waterfowl load. And they've taken something that was already great and made it even better. So we'll get into the details on that. Plus, I think we'll give away a box of 2.0 as well. So that's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. I'm certainly excited about it. Hope you all are as well. couple other things to take care of here. I've got the uh, First Light Cypher Lone Star Outdoors Show branded caps. That's the First Light cap, the Cypher camo pattern. And it's got our logo on it. And they are 35 bucks shipped to your door. And I'll throw in a can of Lone Star Outdoors Show branded Pyro Putty, a fire starter that needs to be in your backcountry kit, no doubt about it. Uh, so if you're interested, just shoot me an email, lonestaroutdoorsshow at gmail.com. We'll also give away one of those combo packages right now. So if you want to win a uh, First Light Lone Star Outdoors Show Cypher Cap, just email the word, let's do a... Uh, Let's just say first light. That's two words, but first light to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and we'll get you entered into today's giveaway. Also, keep sending in those hunting and fishing photos to uh, have a chance to win one of our monthly contests. At the end of the year, our monthly winners will square off for our grand prize hunt package down at Coons Canyon Ranch. One of y'all will get to hunt trophy, axis deer, or black buck with me at Coons Canyon Ranch. So I'm certainly looking forward to hunting with one of y'all coming up this spring. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll dive headfirst into the logistics of the exotic venison industry. You're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Honey, don't you be yelling at me when I'm cleaning my gun. I'll wash the blood off the tailgate when deer season's done. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to 3curl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. Well, I ought to be drilling for that black dog, swimming in that Texas tea. I can make a killing all on my own, selling my misfortune to a family cold. 
Digging Holes, the name of that one from Brent Cobb, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Uh, thank you to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. More importantly, thank you guys and gals for tuning in. I do appreciate you, each and every one of you. I hope that you are having a great start to your fall hunting season. I uh, well, had a great time in Montana chasing elk with my bow. Was unsuccessful, eight tag soup, but the next big thing is on the horizon. Headed to Newfoundland next week to chase moose for the first time. And uh, while they don't have those giant suckers like they do up in Alaska and the Yukon, uh, this is the eastern moose, and so anything over 40 inches wide is considered a, uh, a nice bull. So I know it's going to be wet, cold, and miserably awesome, but hopefully full of rutting activity as those big bulls should be getting fired up right about now. So stay tuned for a recap of that adventure coming up in the very near future. As far as what we're going to do right now is take an in-depth look at the underbelly of the exotic meat industry. Uh, it's fascinating stuff. We'll do that momentarily. But first, this segment brought to you by the First Light Sanctuary Bib and Jacket. This is their extreme outerwear, cold weather outerwear set. Um, I'll be honest, I've only had to wear it two times, once while muzzleloader hunting in Illinois and also on a British Columbia trapline trip. You know, for a Texas guy like me, it just doesn't get that cold. But when I go to those other places like Newfoundland coming up next week, you're damn right I'm wearing the Sanctuary bib set because I don't like to be cold. It keeps me high and dry and toasty. You can find it at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. All right, uh, well, let's bring on our first guest. He is the second-generation owner of Broken Arrow Ranch, here to talk all things exotic meat and how it goes from a Texas ranch to a New York City restaurant. It's my pleasure to welcome Chris Hughes to the show. Thank you very much, Gable. Glad to be here. It's my pleasure. So we've got what I think is an interesting discussion to get into concerning your family business. Uh, your father, Mike, actually started Broken Arrow Ranch back, I think, what, in the early 80s? Right. Uh, he started it in 1983. Wow, okay. I Actually, I came across your your website there after not having any luck, and, and I told you about this, um, with the Laguna Atascosa National Wildlife Refuge. The staff there really, they didn't seem interested in discussing the commercial Nilgai hunts that um, have taken place out there. And so I was like, well, okay, they don't want to talk about it, which I thought was weird because generally – uh, you know, wildlife agencies get in front of stuff like that. They're like, no, deal with the Texas Animal Health Commission. No, we don't want to talk about it. So I started doing a little more research and stumbled across your website, which I think actually is going to be it's going to be better because you can give us more of a behind-the-scenes, all-encompassing view of commercial harvest of exotic wild game. Um, you guys actually, you buy and sell it, essentially. So take us back to the beginning, however, when your dad started the business, because I read on read on your website, he actually would walk the streets of Chicago and New York City with a briefcase full of exotic game with the intent of having chefs, you know, taste the meat. Right. So he uh, he had a previous career as a commercial, commercial diver, uh, started a, a commercial diving company, and that uh, took him all around the world. And in those travels, he had seen... Uh, uh, venison as a, a, a pretty prevalent 
menu item in, mm-hmm. in Europe and in Asia. But back uh, in the 60s and 70s, uh, it was just non-existent here in the United States. And what venison uh, did exist was all imported yeah. venison from, from New Zealand. There was really no domestic supply of venison. So he retired out of the commercial diving business, moved out to his ranch here in the Texas Hill Country, uh, kind of looking for the next thing to do, and uh, quickly ran across a lot of concerns with overpopulation of exotic, non-native deer and antelope uh, here, uh, really concentrated in, in the Texas Hill Country at that time. And so there was a fear that these non-natives were going to outcompete the native white-tailed deer for food sources mm-hmm. and and drive them to extinction. So needed a needed a population control method for these animals. So here was this problem and then he recognized this potential solution of hey look, you know, we can go out, we can harvest these animals uh and then we can sell these to restaurants here in the United States that are that are looking for venison. Hmm. So that was kind of the problem and the potential outlet uh and uh, <laughs> yeah, he yeah, he started off by by taking up a you know, shot an axis, you know, cut the leg, started walking the streets of uh, New York and Chicago, and knocking on fancy restaurant doors and saying, "Is this something you'd be interested in buying? Hmm. If I could supply it to you." And uh, he, he he got mixed results, <laughs> but he got enough positive results that uh, he he thought it'd be worth moving forward on. And uh, so as he looked into the business, what he found uh, was that. There were there were no laws or food inspection regulations that would allow for the sale of venison, mm-hmm. uh, but there was nothing prohibiting it either. <laughs> wow. It was just it was just kind of this no man's land when they wrote, wrote the Federal Meat Inspection Act back in 1900. Uh, they listed out beef and uh, lamb and and uh, you know they had poultry acts and all that, but they didn't list anything for for venison. Huh. original the original red meat so yeah. he started working with uh legislatures on on developing some regulations that would uh, number one would allow the the sale of this meat and provide a framework but uh you know two you know he 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 wanted it to be done right and he knew that if he started this that others would follow in his footsteps and he wanted to make sure that that others that you know that would come along would you know would would, would do it properly as well so as not to destroy the entire industry hmm. okay wow that's interesting i had no idea that there was no like just what an oversight! Like oh, we just forgot to put venison in here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, have, I have no idea uh, why the, the it's it's really made a tangled web of uh, meat inspection uh, regulations, but uh, it's the way it exists. It's bison's in the same boat, uh, quail, things like that. Well, probably when that law was written, we didn't have the exotic, uh, you know, overabundance of these exotic species that that, that started to show up. I think back in the uh, and I did, you know, talked about stuff like this on the show previously with, uh, I think it was um, Charlie Schreiner, the Y.O. Ranch, you know, bringing some black buck over um, back in the early 1900s, something like that. From I think it was from a San Diego zoo. Um, and that's that's right there in your part of the world. And then from there, you know, we had the Neil Guy uh, and the King Ranch. Uh, that was in the 1930s, the first two that came there. Uh, but people who might not be from Texas don't realize that we have all of these dozens of different species that are now thriving behind fences and, and on the open range as well. It's a, certainly a resource, you know, one that we we have, whether intentionally or not, 
and one that I mean I sure sure as hell like hunting axis deer and, and new guys. That's some of the best meat on the planet. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. It's a pretty unique circumstance. Uh, you know, there there are some pockets of exotic uh, deer and antelope in, in other states, but really, it doesn't it doesn't exist the way it does here. Uh, and I'm not even sure that that our business in particular could exist, um, you know, in, in, in many other states because here is where we have this concentration of these these non-native species which can be harvested and can be can be sold uh and we have a you know, high percentage of private property mm-hmm. ownership here here in Texas so those two things combined is 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 really what what allows a lot of this to to work out and and just to be clear for for your listeners uh there is a a distinction between the native and non-native. So what we're harvesting and selling are, are not white-tailed deer. Uh, they're not pronghorn antelope. Uh, these are those are all native species that are categorized as being game animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to have a license and you you know tag limits and there's a lot of regulations wrapped around that with hunting season. No, you can't you can't sell that stuff regardless. No, you, no, you can't you can't sell it in any way way shape or form. Yeah. Uh, the way the way we're doing it, but. The non-natives, like you mentioned, the axis deer, fallow deer, psyche deer, uh, even elk here in Texas are now considered uh, uh, non-native because we hunted them out years ago. Um, all of those are classified as livestock. So in the in the inspection world and the commerce world, you know, they're they're really no different than goat or sheep on a on a property. Well, damn, that some uh, some of those are are hellacious livestock to hunt. I tell you what. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you want to go? You want to? You want to go hunt an Audat in the mountains of uh, West Texas, out there, like around Hudspeth County? Uh, that, yeah, that's livestock. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, even though they're livestock, they're a far cry from uh, being domesticated. Livestock. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's just uh, just funny. That that's the term. That, but I mean, yeah, that is what they're classified as as livestock. Um, uh, now, do you guys? Well, backing backing up to uh, the beginning, you guys really just dealt with restaurants, correct? Like wholesale shipping to these restaurants and and big cities. Yeah, starting off, it was uh, it was to it was to restaurants. There there was some some sales fairly quickly uh, to individuals and on, on a retail basis. Uh, but it was much more difficult, certainly in the in the early to mid '80s. We didn't have Amazon. Uh, we didn't we didn't have websites. It was a lot of mail order, mm-hmm. uh, and that that started to get uh, a, a bit complicated. But uh, yes, yeah, so, you know, early early on, uh, we were uh, we were packing up boxes, and there also wasn't UPS or FedEx or any of these guys that that we have today. We were we were putting these boxes on the bottom of uh, Greyhound buses. And uh, shipping them off to California and New York that way. So, wow. wow. Okay. A lot more, a lot more sophisticated uh, now than than we were 30 years ago. And so, what what was that shipping method like? And I, I don't know if you used dry ice back then or what, because I, I have actually shipped. Uh, I shot an orcs years ago, and I shipped um, like a fifth of it to a buddy that lived in San Francisco who couldn't get it, you know, anything like that out there. And I wrapped up a, uh, I bought one of those cheap styrofoam coolers, taped it up real good, put some of those um, ice packs in it, and shipped it there. I think it got there like overnight. It wasn't cheap, um, mm-hmm. that's for sure, but it got there and was in good shape for him. 
Yeah, that's essentially what we're doing. Um, we 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 don't use cheap styrofoam coolers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we we use some pretty pretty sturdy ones, but uh, same concept. Uh, no, this was a gas like, station one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, you know, put put that in there. Pack it. Uh, paper is a great insulator, so we we pack a lot of paper around it. And, you know, frozen, frozen gel packs or dry ice, and uh, ship it uh, primarily overnight. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the some of the wholesalers it was second day, but you know for individuals it's, it's primarily overnight uh, just to get it there, uh, good good safe condition. Um, and you're right, it's it's not cheap. Um, you know, and people have been spoiled with uh, certainly I have with Amazon Prime and and, and free shipping and, and that. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. People <laughs> people can kind of look at our our shipping prices and uh, they 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 go, oh wow, that 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 costs a lot. Well, it does cost a lot. <laughs> it's about, you know, it's a seventy percent discount we get from UPS, and we, you know, we, that's that's what we pass on to our customers. But it, it it still costs a lot of money to ship a, you know, fifteen pound box across the country overnight. Yeah, and so about what time did you guys start uh, selling to the private sector? I imagine, like you you mentioned, Amazon and the internet and everything. When that came around, it, it surely made things easier. Um, but yeah, when did you guys and and what part of your what percentage of your your business is um, still restaurants versus uh, the private sector? Sure, we're 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 still probably about uh, eighty eighty five percent direct to restaurants from a volume standpoint, uh-huh. uh, and and the fifteen to to individuals. But we we love we love shipping to individuals. We have a lot of great great loyal customers who are who are using us uh, because of dietary. Uh, restrictions, either uh, either for medical reasons or for personal choice, um, you know, they 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 come to us. And we 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 have um, we love when people ask us questions because <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, those are the people that tend to find us and become wonderful customers. They 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 come in, they ask a whole bunch of questions, and we we answer them to the best of our ability. And uh, we're we're never shared to or shy to, uh, to tell them exactly what we're doing and animals we're getting and, and how we're doing it. Uh, but probably in earnest with the individuals, uh, you know, mid mid two thousands is is really where we kind of revamped our website to be a little bit more retail forward, uh-huh. uh, and, and and let individuals start start wearing off of the website. Okay, going ever since. Well, I do have a uh, quite a few more questions. We've we've talked about the the business model, and I want to get into how you guys actually you know procure the meat. You got to go to these ranches, harvest the animals. Uh, and then process them and, and all of that stuff. So uh, I'd like to get into that. We do need to take a quick break. Are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes? Yep, I'm here for you. Excellent. And that segment was proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land, that's the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it, whether that's for recreating, uh, ranching, hunting, fishing, or just to get the hell out of the big city, just to go to a place you can call your own. Whatever the case, Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you. Head over to LoneStarAgCredit.com for more information. We'll be right back with more from Chris Hughes of Broken Arrow Ranch right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. You're over 40, that's it for you. I'm pretty sure there's nothing else that we can do. Perhaps the convent, perhaps the knife. Hi, I'm Luke Anderson, the owner of Colt Construction. I'm also a proud outdoorsman and proud to support the Lone Star Outdoor Show. With roots dating back generations of hard work, 
in the outdoors, I take pride in serving the citizens of the Lone Star State. There are tons of so-called roofing contractors in North Texas, but having a qualified, experienced, trustworthy one to deal with is few and far between. We want to be your one-stop shop to leave it better than we found it and have a relationship that goes past just improving your home or business. We run on three main principles. Quality, because quality comes with a price. We want to do it right the first time and use the best materials. Integrity, because you want to know the true condition of your home or business. And I'm going to be honest and tell you exactly what I think. Grit, because I've swung the hammer. Bottom to top, I've done the labor. I know how the system works. We specialize in many different systems, including metal, clay tile, flat roofing, and good old shingles. You can find us at coltbuilds.com, our Facebook page, or our phone number is 817-789-7588. Colt Construction, dirty hands, clean money, your blue-collar guy to call. So every time I cross the sacred mountains, lightning jumps above. It always takes me back in time to the long-lost Katie Love. No, everything keeps on moving. Everybody's on the go. Hey, you don't find things that last anymore like a hand woven ever. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club, the classic there from Jerry Jeff Walker, bringing us back. Uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in today. Appreciate each and every one of you more than you know. Thanks to Lone Star Beer. And Hoff Power Players as well. We're all set to continue our visit with Chris Hughes of Broken Arrow Ranch and the exotic meat industry. Uh, but before we pick it back up, this segment proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics and the new Fury range-finding binocular. It truly is the perfect piece of gear for all of you minimalists out there uh, because you no longer need a rangefinder. I've got the Fury 10x42s. Absolutely love them. Great optic with the quality rangefinder built in. You can find the Fury as well as Vortex entire lineup right there at vortexoptics.com. All right. Uh, well, with that being said, let's pick it back up with Chris Hughes, who was nice enough to stick around through the break. Appreciate it, Chris. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So how does Broken Arrow Ranch procure the wild game that you guys then sell the restaurants or the private sector? So we have a pretty unique model. It's a field harvesting model. And when this business was started, uh, we, we knew we were wanting to sell high quality meats. Mm -hmm. And because we are dealing with wild animals, uh, trapping and transporting these animals to a, a fixed brick and mortar slaughterhouse um, was just going to stress the animals so much that it was going to ruin the quality of that meat. And you know, if anyone's been hunting and, and they've, they've, they've wounded an animal, um, and you know, that's, a, that's a stressed animal, you can, you can certainly taste the difference in that, in that venison compared to one that, that had a clean harvest on it. Absolutely. Um, so uh, we, we wanted to figure out how we could harvest these animals in the most humane, stress-free manner possible. And what that meant was actually, uh, instead of taking the animals to the plant, taking the processing plant directly out to the animals. It's kind of a field unit. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> again, you get into one of these things where there was nothing in the regulations that would that prohibit it, but nothing that allowed it. <laughs> so, huh. Uh, the, the, the meat inspection laws are very specific about what you need in a processing plant. You need, you need hot water, you need walls that can be sanitized, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so what dad wound up doing was he followed all the regulations. He built a processing plant. He just built it on back of a trailer and then submitted the application to 
the Texas Department of Agriculture for approval. And they came out and they said, well, we, we can't approve this. This is this is on a trailer. <laughs> so, <laughs> he said, well, you show me the regulations where it can't be on a trailer. So I've got I've got everything else you have you want in your your plant. Uh, and they looked at it and they went did their research. They scratched their heads. They came back and they said, well, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so so they had to approve it. So that was actually the first mobile processing unit uh, that was approved uh, anywhere in the United States huh. uh, back when we started doing this. And uh, so that's that we still use that that same method today. We take a we work with ranchers around the state of Texas that have an overpopulation of, of deer and antelope, um, and they contact us or we're contacting them, and uh, we go out to that ranch uh, with a shooter, a skinner, the, the mobile processing unit, and a government meat inspector. And we, we drive around the, the ranch with the rancher. Uh, we harvest the animals one by one uh, using a suppressed rifle, uh, all headshots, distances of 50 to, to 200 yards, and uh, what caliber do you guys like for this? Uh, 30 caliber. Typically uh -huh. using a, a 308 on those. Okay. Um, it's it's uh you know it's 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 a proven round. Uh, it's a very very stable, very accurate round. There's there's lots of lots of good rounds out there, but um, that's that's the one that's uh, kind of been the preferred sniper round for over 100 years. So we're we're sticking with that one. Mm -hmm. So all headshots, you said. All, all headshots, and so that that does a couple of things. So first off, it's you know it's an instantaneous kill. Um, it, it also tends to be you know you you need to be trained to take headshots. It's 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 not an easy shot, but for for us, it it tends to be either an on or off shot. So if you're if you're taking a headshot, um, you know if you, if you make contact, you're 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 gonna you're going to kill that animal. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't make contact, often it's a clean miss. Uh, so uh, for us, we're not having to, you know, to to track or, or apologize. What a mess that would be! Because you've got, I mean, obviously you've got fuel, you've got, you know, this mobile processing facility that you're hauling around. You're, I'm sure you're paying the government uh, health inspector, the meat inspector. Um, so yeah, you don't have time to be running around in the bush looking for. Uh, wounded animals <laughs> no no and you know if we wound an animal the, the other part of the headshot is that it maximizes the amount of meat that's available so anywhere that you know, if we if very important body, for you sure very important yeah. for us that's the whole point you yeah. know full reason for us being out there mm -hmm. um you know the rancher wants to reduce the animal population but we want to be able to, to sell the meat so uh we you know whenever you shoot an, an animal the inspector has to cut a pretty wide swath around that to make sure that there's no lead contamination or any other kind of contamination to that meat. So uh, having the headshots really, you know, solves that issue. Uh huh. Okay. Um, so after the animals harvested, we um, uh, we have a, a, a portable electrostimulation unit. So we actually hook up a, a, a stimulator to the deer uh, that will. Uh, give a thorough bleed out. It runs an electric current through the animal, con contracts the muscles, and what that does is kind of accelerates through rigor mortis, helps tenderize the muscles, helps squeeze a lot of the blood out of the muscles, which um, that that blood and proper bleeding can contribute to kind of a gamey flavor mm -hmm. uh, that you might get on it later. Yeah. Um, this is interesting because I have seen these things, you know, marketed to the private sector, and I just hear mm -hmm. average hunter, hey, and 
people have even asked me, what do you think about this? I, I, I've never used it, didn't know if it worked, but here's uh, someone who is in the business telling me that absolutely 100% works. Oh, 100% works. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a proven technology that's been used in, in brick-and-mortar uh, slaughterhouses and you know, continue to be used uh, today. Yeah. Uh, we just we wanted to make a portable version, and actually my, uh, my brother-in-law uh, is the one who makes all these units for us, and, and uh, he, he markets them under the, the Tinderbuck uh, brand, and so the same things that are available to the public are the same things that, that we're using out out in the field ourselves okay yeah that's the one i've seen okay yeah very yeah. cool that's a, it's a good machine mm -hmm. um, so <clears throat> we do the electro stimulation then we bring the animal back to our mobile processing unit there on the ranch and that's where it goes you know gets skinned eviscerated gets the mark of inspection uh the animal's weighed we pay the rancher based on the the weight of the animal that we harvest uh, so it's a real, you know, it's a real nice option for these ranchers because not only are they getting their, you know, doing their habitat management and kind of maintaining uh, sustainable populations out there, they're getting paid, <laughs> for, yeah. you know, to you know to, to keep that keep that population in check. Yeah, that was one of my questions. Uh, you know, what's in it for the rancher financially? Uh, obviously, you guys incentivize them by paying them. You pay them by the pound, and that's after the animal is uh, uh, gutted and skinned. Right, right. It's kind of so, kind of cold hanging weight, hanging, hanging weight. Uh huh. Okay, and then all, and then taking that stress of the overpopulation off of the landscape, so a, a double benefit there for them. Um, what? Um, let me ask you this: What is your favorite wild game species? I mean, you guys work with a lot of different species. You know, are there any that you you don't have any interest in? And then which ones? <laughs> which ones your favorite? Uh, certainly, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty equal opportunity. I've, I've, I've eaten my way through, uh, through, through a lot of them, but, uh, you know, for my money, the, uh, the, the axis and the Neil guy are, are the top of the heap, uh, for, for me. Um, they're, they're both really, really mild in flavor. Uh, great, great, uh, you know, tasting animals. Um, uh, in terms of one or the other, uh, it, it just depends a little bit on, uh, you know, kind of my application. Mm -hmm. uh, they're they're uh, the size of the Neil guy uh, actually tends to uh, I, I tend to use that more just because the cuts are a little bit larger uh, compared to an axis, so you kind of get a little bit more substantial loin, more substantial uh, steak, things like that. Yeah. So that's that's where I tend to tend to gravitate. Everybody loves axis with good with good reason, uh, but I think more people love axis. Uh, the Neil guy, just because not as many have had the opportunity to have Neil guy. Sure. Yeah, I shot my first one this spring down there in uh, uh, Kennedy County, and yeah. uh, uh, free range hunt. And and that was another question I had for you: is um, are at this point in time, you know, as we we, we see high fences continuing to go up, that's never going to change. Um, do you guys operate primarily behind high fences or, or on the open range as well? It's a mixed bag. Uh, I would say the majority of where we're hunting are on a high fence property, uh -huh. um, because that's those are the ones that tend to wind up with really needing some population uh, control. You know, they've created a closed ecosystem. Mm -hmm. you know, they're they're on their property once once they've high fenced it, uh, and and once you have that high fence, they're also the ones that, that tend to be more active in the management of their property. Uh, but we we do a lot that also are are low fence. Uh, you know, we we worked on 
um, state parks. You know, we've worked down there at the National Wildlife Refuge. We've worked on private ranches that, that have low fence. Uh, so it's, um, uh, it's, it's definitely a mixed bag. We, what's, that's a, a bit of a perception that we fight, especially for people out of state that just, just don't understand the, the, the situation down here in Texas is that they'll you know, say, well, how do you raise these animals? Well, we don't raise the animals. They're, they're wild. They're just, they're just out there. They mm-hmm. exist. They're, they're, they're not being, uh, they're not really being raised, uh, but, but they're on a ranch. Well, they, yeah, they're, they're, they're on a ranch. They're, they're behind a fence. And in some cases they're behind a, a high fence. It's like, so they're not really free range. Well, you know, these, these ranches are 2,000 to 10,000 to 240,000 acres. You know, <laughs> right. they, they, they have plenty of room to roam and plenty of room to, to escape us uh, as, as, as we go around trying to harvest these animals. So, you know, the comparison I give is, uh, you know, this like a 240,000 acre ranch, which is one of the properties down in South Texas where we, where we hunt is about 300 square miles. You know, it's the size of Rocky Mountain National Forest, right? Uh, or National Park. So it's a um, lot of lot of land to cover right there. No doubt about that. We are going to work in a quick commercial break. That segment of the presentation was proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion, and also with a location in San Antonio, Texas. Josh and Becky are my good friends, and they've been taking care of all of my taxidermy needs for going on, well, hell, a long time, maybe a decade. <laughs> But anyway, uh, it took me a long time to find a taxidermist that I trusted, that answered the phone when I called, and delivered amazing work. That's what they do. And you can find them at gr8mounts.com. Up next, we continue our inside look at the inner workings of the exotic meat industry with Broken Arrow Ranch's Chris Hughes on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I made a Spanish angel cry when I said goodbye, she said, please don't go. I should have never left Mexico. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Why do I write songs? Why can't my heart shut its mouth? Why can't I move on and give a fair chance to someone to do? Why can't I fall out in love? There's a little Reed Southall bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you for being here today. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. We're still visiting with Chris Hughes of Broken Arrow Ranch and Broken Arrow Meats. Second generation owner. Uh, his father founded it back in 1983 and really kicked off the exotic meat industry here in the United States. Prior to that, if it said venison and you ordered it at a restaurant, it likely came from New Zealand. Um, so we'll jump back into that momentarily. First, however, this segment brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member, and here's why. They continuously put their money where their mouth is. Held this last week, over 20 members were out in West Texas in, in Big Bend, 
implementing a water guzzler project that will benefit desert bighorn sheep, mule deer, uh, antelope, you name it, all the wildlife out there. That's what DSC is all about, conservation, education, and hunter's rights. So for more info, check us out at biggame.org. Uh, well, Chris, man, certainly appreciate you sticking around. I do want to ask you, you know, you talked about when you guys are out on these properties, actually harvesting the animals, shooting them for the purpose of, of selling the venison to restaurants or to the general public. Um, you know, you have that state health inspector there. Does he ever throw a red flag and say, nope, uh, this one just doesn't pass inspection? Uh, very, very rarely. Uh, he, he certainly has the, the option to, and that is what he is there for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but for one thing, this, this method, you know, what they're looking for are sick animals uh, yeah. and, and unhealthy animals. And so with, when you, when you trailer, when you raise animals and you trailer them to a brick and mortar facility, they're all going, uh, when you're hunting in the field, harvesting in the field, um, a sick animal will typically remove itself from the herd, lie down, and stay there until it either gets well or dies. And when we're out there looking for animals and we find the herd, those sick animals aren't with them. Uh, so they never really present themselves to us to be harvested. Okay. We're not we're not seeing those animals when we're harvesting. They're 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 typically healthy. Um, we we have experienced uh, a couple of sick animals, and you know, we've been with the rancher, and you know, and he'll say, you know, go ahead and harvest, you know, take that one, um, you know, shoot shoot that one for the population, uh, but it's not one that we would take back to the unit protection. Mm-hmm. But that's that's very very rare. You know, I think that, you know, yeah. I can think of uh, one instance over the last four years that you know that's that's really occurred. Uh, but but that is the point of the inspector. They go out into the field with us. They've got to do what's called an, uh, uh, an anti-mortem inspection. So they'll take our loop, a loop around the ranch and just look at the conditions of, of the property itself and the, the animals that he's observing out there. Um, and then once they get back to the unit, he's inspecting the, 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 the carcass structure. He's inspecting the organs. He's inspecting the glands and getting a lot of information about the health of that animal. Uh, during the process. Huh. Okay. Um, so I, I asked you what was your, your favorite meat, like for the table, and you, and you said Nilgai and Axis. What's the most expensive by the pound? Whether you're, you know, you're reselling to uh, uh, the private sector or uh, the restaurant industry. Sure. Uh, well, by far the most expensive is going to be the uh, the boneless loin or the the backstrap, uh, because everybody everybody wants the backstrap. <laughs> And there's only a few pounds of that that's available uh, per animal. Uh, so I think a lot of people only think there's the deer is just made up 100% of the, the of, of the backstrap. So that's going to be the the most expensive, and those are about thirty thirty six dollars a pound retail. Wow. Um, but a a great alternative option to that is what we call the the the, the leg fillet. And so we, we bring the animal back here. We, we go through a double aging process. We dry age it for three to five days, bone it out or cut it out into the primal, so whole legs, whole saddles. Uh, then we vacuum seal it to let it continue to wet age for up to 30 days. And wet aging doesn't mean that we're adding anything to that. It just means we're preventing evaporation. There's yeah. no marbling. There's 
you know, there's not a lot of fat on the on these medicines. So if you have that evaporation, it's going to taste dry when it's done. Oh, I've definitely wet aged before. It's 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 um for so, like if you if you want to do something in your house and you can't dry age, I mean, hang something, you know, like wet aging is a great alternative. You know, oh, yeah. so just for the average Absolutely. guy, I'm just saying like I've used it and it definitely makes the meat more gender. Yeah, what you're doing is you're just giving time. You're letting those natural enzymes in that meat start to break down all that connective tissue, uh, and and it has a huge, huge benefit. You're going to see a lot of benefit even in as little as you know ten to ten to twelve days. Um, we we take it out to thirty. Uh, it's all on the bone, so the natural tension that's there on the between the bone and the muscles kind of helps further tenderize it, pull those muscle fibers apart. Uh, then once it's fully aged, we'll bring it back into our butcher uh, butcher shop and bone it out. Uh, basically, seam cut all the all the individual muscles, and you've got this really really tender, really really flavorful fillet. You know, a deer steak mm-hmm. that people are looking for. Um, and we we sell more of that than, than anything. But and, wh- and which so which cut is that? Like uh, that's that's what we call the the leg fillet. So we put it on our website as a you know as a fillet steak uh, or a boneless leg fillet. Okay. And so is that like on the more on the shin, like the shank? No, it's going to be the you know the, it's going to be the thigh. Oh, okay. You know, okay. The, you know, All the, right. You know, thighs and hamstring. That, that do you guys keep? Do you guys do any bone in? Like uh, like I like I love to work with the shank and you know slow cook it and and then you mm-hmm. get oh absolutely we uh, uh we do the, the uh, whole shanks and osabuco okay uh, yeah osabuco is a shank i mean osabuco <laughs> yes my favorite species my favorite cut is the osabuco yeah i love i love just slow braising that that stuff down and uh, then you got to go for the marrow at the end oh yeah absolutely yeah. put that meat butter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man i love it i love the osabuco um okay so between species, though, which one is the most expensive by the pound? I'm sure there's some variation there. Uh, usually axis. Okay. Uh, the, the antelope's antelope's going to be a little bit more economical uh, than the axis. Just the nut just turns into uh, you know, an average Neil guy. Uh, antelope carcass is going to be um, you know, about 160 pounds. Uh, an axis carcass is going to be about 50 pounds. So mm-hmm. you, you, you're putting about the same amount of effort. Uh, but you're getting three times the three times the animal. Yeah. And so, are there are there any animals like a rancher says, "Hey, I got too many dad Are you like, "No, we're not really interested." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that does happen. Um, we we try to focus on what's called the common exotics. So we're not we're not dealing in a lot of the super or any of the super exotics. Uh, you know, like the you know, bongos or things like that. They just they just have too much value, and and there's just not enough of them out there. Uh-huh. Um, we we have dealt in in mouflon and audad in the in the distant past, uh, and it's just a hard thing to sell. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the p- people just not enough people appreciate that that flavor. <laughs> Yeah, on well, the rest, on the re- on the restaurant side or the individual side. So I get it. I mean, I've shot a couple yeah. of them, and and the best thing that I made with all that was tamales, which kind of hit yeah. the flavor. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, I ate it, but it wasn't my favorite. I'll tell you that. Right. So right. so, so uh-huh. we're, we we stick to to primarily the the common exotics: uh, uh, axis, fallow, psycho, red deer, elk, black buck antelope, and nilgai antelope. 
Black buck antelope's an interesting one. I, I've shot quite a few of them and, and have enjoyed eating them. My wife, however, says it out of all the, the wild game that I've brought home that it has more of a metallic taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Um, is that one as well-received as the other ones? You know, it's 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 mixed. Um, so part of it is again how the animals harvested. A lot of a lot of people. What's the hanging weight on one of those two? Because they're they're pretty small. They're 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 fairly small. So probably average in the mid twenties uh-huh. on on one of those. So uh, you know, a lot of people that have experienced black buck, it does get a a, a, a bad rap, and I think worse than it deserves. But a lot of people that have harvested black buck are, are obviously going out there and, and, and they're taking the alpha male. And that is never going to be your best venison. Uh, so we're out there doing population control. So we're taking the females, we're taking the cold bucks, the young bucks, things like that. So there's just inherently going to be a little bit milder tasting venison off of the ones that, that we're taking, um, you know, along with that electrostimulation and the aging process. Hmm. But uh, every every venison has a different flavor profile. You know, I say it's like varietals and grapes. Uh, you know, each 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 grape has its own flavor profile, and it's the same thing with venison. And we we had a chef, a uh, famous chef up in Chicago, um, you know that that ran through all of our different offerings, trying out different things, and and he 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 tried them all. And what he came back with was, I love the black buck. Huh. He said, "You know, you call me when you have black buck. I don't want anything else." Wow. And, uh, so there's definitely fans out there, but you know, certainly some, you know, some some people care for Texas. Hmm. <laughs> well, what about the? Um, let's see. I was looking at the website. It says stuff about sausages. Do you guys do various like custom sausages and stuff like that, or um, is it mostly just the steaks? What do you guys do with the stuff that you know typically most people grind up? Sure. Well, we 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 sell a tremendous amount of ground venison. Uh, it's the most versatile, you know, versatile cut. And mm-hmm. especially, like I said, uh, people that might have a dietary uh, need uh, can can use a lot of the venison, a lot or the ground, a lot of the stew. Uh, but we do we do make sausages as well. We we do a you know, smoked sausage, venison and wild boar. We do uh, a, a jalapeno cheese. We do some summer sausage, uh, Italian sausage. Um, you know, that's the Italian sausage is incredible. It's got a great, great flavor on it. So absolutely, we. I mean, the the the, the whole trick with this business is uh, you've you've got to be able to uh, sell sell every part of that animal uh, to make it to make it work. Yeah. Something I saw on the website, I was it kind of made me smile. Was you even have waiter guides on there? So for these high end restaurants, a lot of these folks have probably never eaten exotic meat, and so you've got like. <laughs> species by species breakdown on how they can uh, explain the, the flavor profile to the folks dining at the restaurant. Absolutely. So we, you know, we try to support our, our, our customers, be it individuals or, or, or restaurants, as, as much as we can. And uh, you know, certainly on the restaurant side, uh, we want to help them explain to, to their patrons what the venison is and, and uh, where it came from uh, and, and how to explain it. Because uh, you know, all venison is not the same, and uh, people, especially nowadays, if they're going to go out to a fancy dinner, they're going to go out to a restaurant, they're going to, you know, spend, uh, you know, hundred, two hundred, three hundred dollars on a dinner. 
um, you know, they, they want to return on that investment. They, they want, they want an experience. And the more that that waiter can explain the backstory behind their, you know, behind that entree, behind that meat, where it came from, uh, the, the, the more rich that experience is going to be. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. Um, you mentioned feral hogs earlier. And when I asked you about the sausages, do you work with hogs a lot? We do. Uh, we 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 sell quite a bit of wild boar uh, and a variety of cuts, you know, as, as well as the sausage. Getting into the the weirdness of the meat inspection laws. Uh, so wild boar are are correctly classified as pork under the Federal Meat Inspection Act. So because because of that. Uh, we cannot do the field harvesting of the wild boar the same way we do the deer. So mm. we actually uh, we work with uh, a few trappers who trap uh, for us on spec and uh, then deliver them to a to a fixed slaughterhouse, uh, and then and then we we break down the carcasses from there. So it's a little bit little bit different. Uh, little bit different I figured that was the, the case because I, I knew there were certain like uh, laws regarding that. Well, right, the right. the key is it has to be at a brick and mortar slaughterhouse. Yeah, well, the key, the key is it has to be inspected. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, to, to be able to resell, it has to be inspected. And, uh, you know, for the only way, uh, viable way right now to have wild boar meat inspected is to take it to a, a, a brick-and-mortar slaughterhouse. Well, this has been very interesting. Uh, certainly, I've, I've been fascinated with the conversation today. And um, I don't know, do you, guys, do you have a lot of competition? Are, are there a lot of other folks that are going to hear this interview and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go start my own uh, <laughs> it sounds well, fun. I I'm can... going to go hunt for a living and basically. You know, sure. Uh, well, it's a you know it's 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 an interesting business, uh, but it's also a very very difficult business. Yeah. Um, you know, there there's certainly it, it's interesting how you define competition. Uh, you know, there there are some other people that 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 sell uh, venison. You know, there are a lot of deer farms that are out there mm-hmm. uh, that are that are farming in a traditional way and selling venison. Uh, New, I mentioned New Zealand. They're the 800-pound gorilla. They probably have 80% market share here in the, here in the United States. So, um, you know, they're they're bringing in a lot of farmed uh, venison. Uh, but but in our world, um, it's also fighting for. Uh, attention with the public and uh, with the you know on, on menu space uh, you know it's not necessarily a top of mind product so uh, on some level you could define bison as a as competition just like you could heritage pork or anything else uh, that, that might be out there hmm. but uh, that's that's capitalism and that's America uh, <laughs> right right <laughs> you know should never be afraid of the competition you just gotta uh, you know we just try to do the best that we can we're, we're, Put out the best, uh, you know, think the best product that's available anywhere, and uh, uh, try to support our customers uh, as much as possible. And where can folks find you? Uh, easiest way to find us is, is through our website, BrokenArrowRanch.com. Uh, there's going to be you know, a store there where you can order. We'll ship all over the country. Uh, there's a lot of articles and information about. Uh, venison and uh, other wild game meats in general uh there is uh, a lot of are a lot of recipes uh, that are available online uh, that was one thing that we found is that uh people uh, may want to try venison but they're a little intimidated on how to how to cook it and so we have a lot of cooking tips and recipes available for for people out there as well excellent and that's uh brokenarrowranch.com brokenarrowranch.com Well, Chris, certainly enjoyed the conversation, my friend. Thanks so much for jumping on today. Uh, Truly enjoyed it. Absolutely, Cable. I appreciate you having me on, and uh, it was a pleasure to be here. All right. You take care. All right. Thanks. You too.
So there he goes, Chris Hughes of Broken Arrow Ranch. Uh, if you want to follow their page on Instagram, it's actually Broken Arrow Meats. So y'all check that out. And uh, and just FYI, I'm not getting anything uh, from Chris or Broken Arrow. There's no financial commitment from them. They're not sending me free meat. Uh, I just thought it was completely fascinating uh, story and, and history of the legality of harvesting and then selling exotic venison to uh, both restaurants and the private sector. So there you go, all the way back from the early 80s to where we are at today. Uh, that segment of the presentation, by the way, was proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. I keep telling you, if you've got kiddos, you need to check out the Big Chingone, especially if you're trying to introduce them into the outdoors. Um, I had Henry... Frankie Stella and my lovely bride all in the blind with me last year on a hunt and truly a family experience that none of us will ever forget. We had tons of room. Of course, it's got windows for both archery and rifle uh, applications and cup holders, carpet. I mean, you name it. It's like the Taj Mahal of deer blinds. Check it out. It is the Big Chingone. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. We will be right back with our good friend Jeff Barry of Kent Cartridge. He just returned from a bucket list hunt that I imagine is on every serious waterfowler's list. We'll discuss next on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. Hey y'all, spring is here and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them Cable sent you. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Hey, this is Jared Allen of the Minnesota Vikings, and you're listening to Cable Smith on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I was born on this mountain a long, long time ago. Before they knocked down the timber and a strip mine all the coal. Little Levon Helm bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. The Mountain is the name of that one there. Uh, I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thanks for being here. Thanks to Rudy's Barbecue for sponsoring this segment of the presentation. You know what you should do when you get out of the woods or off the lake? Head over to Rudy's. You know, you've worked up an appetite. But Rudy's has breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They've also got cold Lone Star beer. They've got locations all over Texas. It's Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. With that being said, we're going to head a long way from the Lone Star State for our next discussion, all the way up to Saskatchewan, which is where our good friend Jeff Barry of Kent Cartridge just returned from uh, an epic waterfowling adventure, no doubt about that, one that is certainly on my bucket list, Jeff. Thanks for being here, man. Always a pleasure to talk ducks and geese with you. Absolutely, Cable. Glad to be on. My pleasure. My pleasure. You just got back from a great trip, uh, waterfowling, ducks and geese up in Saskatchewan, which I want to get into here. Uh, but first of all, something that I am not real familiar with, Jeff, is 
I'd like to find out the history about Kent Cartridge. Um, I think it's a, an interesting one and one that most of our listeners probably aren't familiar with. Where are you guys located and, and how did this company originally get started back in the uh, mid-90s? Yeah, Cable, I think it's a story that your listeners are going to find very interesting and appreciate the entrepreneurial spirit uh, in, involved with it. It uh, started in the uh, uh, mid-90s, uh, right after the uh, mandate for a non-toxic shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a group of uh, group of hunters that didn't like the products that were on the market. They didn't think they were effective and didn't like the amount of birds that they were wounding. And these were successful businessmen that enjoyed hunting together, and they just got the idea to start a company after learning about a new New metal alloy that was on the uh, that was just being developed uh, at Penn State, and this group of gentlemen got together and uh, uh, started a company just on the premise of loading a better uh, ammo for uh, for for uh, for ducks and geese. They found that product at Penn State, they turned it into our tungsten matrix product, which is the blend of tungsten and polymer, and it mimics lead exactly, both in its density and softness, and. It just so happens there was a ammo manufacturing facility in West Virginia uh, that was going out of business, Active Industries. Uh, for those of you who uh, remember them, they were the all-plastic hulls. They were going out of business, and that opportunity came up for this for uh, this group of uh, gentlemen, and they purchased the loading facility. They've got a metal alloy that's non-toxic, and then they purchased a, a company in the U.K. called Kent Cartridge uh, for the its uh, shot-making equipment and started making that shot in the U.K., sending it over here to its new f- the facility in West Virginia and loading Kent Cartridge products uh, starting in 1997. Huh, okay. And now, is, is that still done in the UK or is it all uh, here now? We we have three types of proprietary shot and those that shot is made in the UK uh-huh. and sent over here to be loaded into Kent Cartridge ammunition. So basically some some guys who like to hunt hunt together and uh, weren't happy with the <laughs> the available shot options and they had the resources. I mean that's the the key thing is they had the resources to say hey let's uh let's come up with a better option here. Absolutely, it's a, it's just a great story, and and uh, uh, it's it's one that I'm proud to be a part of uh, working for this company. Yeah, well, and you know when I started waterfowling, I guess I, I was probably uh, 2002, I would say, uh, in college, and Kent was like the high end of what I could afford back then. You know, it wasn't like you're buying the cheapest thing off the shelf at Walmart, but for a college kid, you know, when you're waiting tables to pay for that box of ammo, uh, I found Kent to be the best load for, you know, bang for my buck. That's why I'm still shooting them today. Um, but you guys have made a big improvement or quite a few improvements. And we're excited because Fast Steel 2.0 is coming out. It's out now. So it's on shelves. And that's what I'll be shooting this season. How did you guys improve on something that, like I just said, uh, I already thought was pretty damn good? Yeah, you know that that's the, that's the key to it. it. Was a great product. There really was nothing wrong with the original Fast Steel, though it was introduced in 1998, a year after Kent started. And there there's been improvements in technology that we were able to apply uh, into into our Fast Steel 2.0 line. We were able to change an internal component called a base wad to make it more forgiving uh, in terms of uh, functioning in semi-autos. There's been a lot of new guns brought out on the market. Uh, in the last five years, but let alone the last 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, 
different operating systems, gas and inertia. Some guns have tight chambers. Believe it or not, there's duck hunters who uh, don't clean their guns during the season. We we just wanted to improve uh, on <laughs> the reliability of, of our product. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there you go. Uh, uh, abs- uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, so that's 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 one of the biggest improvements there. And then we've also uh, decided to put in uh, zinc plating on our our steel shot and nickel heads for a li- for an element of corrosion protection. Uh, we've got guys who hunt along the salt you know in salt water and and uh, you know let's face it, uh, you know, waterfowlers uh, hunt in some pretty harsh conditions. We want ammo that will stand up to it. And uh, powders have improved where we could make a few of our loads a little faster without increasing felt recoil. Uh, keeping pressures uh, within safe limits and keeping pattern uniformity uh, uh, consistent uh, with with the original fast steel. Hmm. Well, okay. Here's the million dollar question: Is are you guys bumping up the price? Is the is the average guy still going to be able to afford, you know, Kent um, at that same in that same price range? It, it, that's that's the great part about it. We kept the price the same. It's going to be the most affordable premium steel on the market today that's what fast steel was known for mm-hmm. is is being a premium performance at a value price that's exactly what fast steel 2.0 is no change in price awesome well very cool i think we'll uh i think we should give away a box how does that sound hey i i love that idea cable 100 <laughs> percent. Okay, we'll do that at the end of our discussion um switching gears though something that um i think is on every waterfowler's bucket list or should be if it isn't. And I haven't done this yet. Uh, I think maybe next fall will be my first trek to Saskatchewan. But you just returned from there. And uh, I saw some of the pictures. It looked like you had uh, one heck of a hunt. It, it was epic. It, I, I, words cannot describe the, the amount of birds that are up there and, and the overall experience of, of hunting in Saskatchewan in the the early season as these birds uh begin their begin their migration uh the sheer volume the way they worked very different than what i've experienced here in the states mm-hmm. well it's like when people say you know duck tornado uh for me in north texas you know we don't have a lot of ag so we're just you know a tornado to me is like 10 mallards falling into the decoys that's my tornado like what what did you experience up there uh hundreds uh, flocks of hundreds working into the decoys, uh, just just silly. Uh, the, the amount of birds. Uh, uh, one morning on ducks, we had an eight man limit in in thirty minutes, and that was that was picking good shots. It was just flight after flight after flight. It was unreal. And these are mostly greenheads. Mostly greenheads and 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 some pintail, uh, but yeah, most mostly mallards and and uh, and pintail. And so, what is the style of hunting? Are you, is this field hunting or or? or uh... Yeah, we're hunting in pea fields, barley fields. Uh, harvest uh, was ongoing up there, so some of these fields were freshly harvested. Uh, we hunted in a mix of A-frame blinds and layout blinds, depending on the day. The the day we had our, our epic uh, duck hunt, we were we were all out of layout blinds and uh in a barley field and we were able to to uh stay well hidden and and the ducks were were finishing right in our face we had perfect wind a perfect setup it 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 was unreal and what is your jeff what is your personal favorite shot size for puddle ducks 
personally, I like number threes. Uh, I, I think that gives you an ideal blend of pellet count along with uh, the energy it delivers at the ranges that you'll be uh, you, you'll be hunting with. Uh, uh, so it's just a good balanced load for ducks for sure. And and you you also got into a lot of geese on this trip. Uh, that was a picture that I saw. I was like, oh man, what uh, what was the goose hunting like? That was that was equally as impressive. Uh, maybe a little longer than the duck hunts. Uh, our, our goose hunts lasted for about an hour, as opposed <laughs> to the half hour duck hunt. Uh, uh, so, so you'd have a smaller flights early on in the morning. A lot of lessers coming in early, and, and uh, you know we'd we'd be shooting pretty good at them, and and then. Uh, after maybe that first half hour or so, we'd see uh, larger flights of the larger geese coming in as they're getting up, and and then it just it just got silly uh, in terms of uh, the amount of birds, the way they were working, and and again the outfitter that we were we were with, they did an excellent job of as they call it putting us on the X. They, we were in the right field every morning, the setup was perfect, the the amount of legwork that they put into it to ensure that we had birds on us uh was was tremendous and if you i mean you can plug them if you want to it sounds like they did a great job yeah, yeah goose haven and safari river outfitters up in uh up in saskatchewan 100 percent uh totally recommend uh contacting them to book your next trip they did a great job for us well that's see that's key they did the leg legwork every day uh scouting and putting you, like you said, on the X, you hear horror stories of guys who they'll book like a three or four day snow goose hunt in Missouri. And basically they're put in a stale field where the decoys are left out and the guy just tries to run traffic and, you know, maybe they shoot five, 10 snow geese as a group. Um, whereas what they should be doing <laughs> if, if they have the property is, is scouting. And then, you know, it's a pain in the ass, obviously to move a thousand decoys, but Hey, if you want to put your clients on birds, uh, that's what you got to do. Um, how many decoys did you guys use up there uh, for for each um, style of hunting for the ducks and then obviously the geese? So surprisingly, it was it was not that many. Uh, the the setup, you know, and we all assisted with the setup. It, it was a few dozen, a few dozen honkers, and and uh, maybe maybe two dozen uh, two, uh, two dozen duck decoys, mm -hmm. and you know on the. Uh, on the uh on the ducks having the mojos that was that was obviously key uh had had maybe one or two mojos out but you didn't need that spread of of you know thousands of decoys or 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 hundreds it was it was quite a simple spread hmm. well i mean that makes it a lot easier too if you don't have to set out a thousand silo socks you know it's uh, that 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 is very time consuming but um were the ducks working in the the uh goose spread and vice versa Oh, ab absolutely, uh, and and that's the thing is is about the only difference is we didn't uh, in 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 the, the hunting tactic is if we saw the geese coming in we turned the mojos off, uh, if we saw the ducks coming in we turned the mojos on, and that was that was uh, really all we did differently, uh, didn't change the spread at all. You know, when I first started waterfowling, everybody had a mojo, and I probably used it throughout the entire season, and then realized after a year or two that. Basically, after early teal season, for me, it being here at the end of the Central Flyway in Texas, uh, all the mojo was doing was flaring ducks off of off of our spread. <laughs> so uh, it's all I, relative yeah. to where you hunt, you know, and, and those ducks have been educated from Saskatchewan all the way to Texas. It's, it's funny to see the different, how, how it affects them differently. I, I would agree. Uh, in my home state in Nebraska hunting, uh, 
early season, you could get away with the mojo. There were definitely times you're exactly right where that would be flaring the ducks and we just needed to pull them because that, uh, uh, they had been educated. Uh, what I can tell you is up there, they, uh, they were very uneducated birds for sure. Yeah. Well, it's like they forget. They go all spring and summer without seeing one and then <laughs> they need to be reeducated. So I'm glad you were able to do that for them. Uh, but, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the limit on ducks and, uh, and geese up there? Uh, eight, eight per man on both. So uh, yes, on both. Okay. And that's any combination of lessers and graders or. Yeah. Yeah. So dark geese, then light geese. And then, yeah, eight, eight person, eight, uh, eight on the, on the ducks. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I mean, I just needed to be pushed over the edge just a little bit. So next fall, I'm, I'm going to Saskatchewan for sure. So. Oh, yeah, you, you won't regret it. That's definitely a bucket list. Do it. Logistically, where do you fly into up there? Yeah, for that outfitter, you have the option of two. Uh, we flew into Edmonton, Alberta, and then drove to the to the, uh, to the lodge. Uh, it was about a five-hour drive. And then uh, – or you can fly into uh, Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and, the, and then drive up there. So uh, – that those are the kind of the options for for Goose Haven and Safari River, and they're both great options. I'll, I'll tell you, Edmonton was a was a really convenient airport. Uh, on the way out, on the way home, we could uh, clear U.S. Customs uh, there in Edmonton, uh, which made it nice uh, for a connecting flight when uh, uh-huh. on the way home after a long trip. Yeah, well, I've actually flown into Edmonton for a uh, spring bear hunt, and uh, yeah, it was very easy and and. For and this is totally unrelated to waterfowling, but um, for anyone listening, as far as getting your stuff back, uh, all I did was just freeze the the bear the bear skins and skulls, and then put them in a Tupperware, checked them as a checked bag, and they came to they got all the way back to Dallas, uh, still frozen. Yeah, we did the same thing with uh, uh with our ducks that we uh, and geese that we brought home. Uh, we the outfitter sold us uh, portable coolers, or some of us brought uh-huh. our own. It, it worked out tremendous. So you were able to bring the meat home, okay? Absolutely. Okay. That's yeah, that's awesome. the best part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I'm not 100% sure on the on the uh, on the laws, but I I think you can bring up to three limits, three uh, three daily limits of ducks and geese uh, on the on any walleye that you're bringing back. It's only a, a one day limit. Uh, but I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure on uh, on on the laws there because uh, uh, we we brought back. Uh, 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 just what we were able to fit in the cooler, and then they were they were able to donate the rest uh, to some of the First Nations up there. Mm-hmm. Now, did you actually do any walleye fishing? We did. Uh, you know, great lodge. So when you're not hunting, they had boats for you. You go out and you can fish for walleye and pike, and and we did. Well, yeah, that because you're only hunting for thirty minutes to an hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. So and then, and then we we did a little bit of grouse hunting as well. Uh, they have uh, rough grouse and and. Um, Oh wow! Yeah, uh, up up there, and uh, so there's plenty better of activities better. to keep you busy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what a trip! Well, good stuff, man. I certainly appreciate it. Everybody, check out Fast Deal 2.0, and I think we're going to do that giveaway now, Jeff, as we're wrapping things up. And I think a good trivia question. You mentioned it earlier in the interview. What year was Kent Cartridge founded? How about that? Perfect. We'll let uh, we'll let you guys email in to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Everyone that gets it right, uh, we will put your name in a hat and we'll draw a winner and send them a, a box of uh, 2.0. That'll be perfect. Uh, that one box, they'll love it. Well, hey, we certainly appreciate it, man. 
I hope that you have a great rest of the season. Hey, absolutely, Cable, and thanks for having me on again. Well, there he goes, our good friend Jeff Barry of Kent Cartridge. I tell you what, uh, Saskatchewan is calling my name for the fall of 2020. No doubt about that. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology. Check out the new Pulsar Axion Thermal Monocular. And don't let it small size fool you. It still comes with a bunch of big features that you've come to know from Pulsar. It's a big part of my whitetail game plan as I use it scanning uh, to make sure I don't blow out animals heading to my stand. Check it out. It's the Pulsar Axion. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. Unfortunately... We are out of time for today. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Jeff Barry of Kent Cartridge as well as Chris Hughes of Broken Arrow Meats. Certainly enjoyed having him on today. We'll do it again same time, same place next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until then, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Still I'll spend my time and all my cash Home for some in a jukebox and the prayer that I might last